Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. All right, this morning we're going to begin with a question. Sounds like you guys are in a chatty mood. Um, so we're going to start around your tables with this uh, kind of fun, fun little question. What's something you've experienced, person, place, or thing, you believe everyone should? You're like, I had this, this thing, I experienced, I ate this thing, I saw this thing, I went to this place, I met this person, and oh my gosh, the entire human race should experience this before they kick the bucket. Um, so, now, as cute as it would be for all of us to reference, oh yeah, this moment with God, or Jesus, the Holy Spirit, um, for this, for the first part, we're not going to include him, we're just going to exclude him as, our pastor said us to exclude God. Yeah, so something other than, than having to do with God or Scripture, the Holy Spirit, person, place, or thing that you've experienced, you wish, you think everyone should. Ready, set, discuss. All right, so I've, uh, I've been eavesdropping a little bit. Um, and my favorite quote from Eavesdrop is, everyone who had those mangoes got sick. <laughs> I was like, that's a great quote. I'm going to tweet that really quick. Um, awesome. Who, who heard something or shared something at your table? Like, the whole group has to hear this. this. This really is, should go on everyone's bucket list, hands down. Come on, who has it? Somebody? Somebody raise your hand high. Something? Yeah, uh-huh. I thought so. All right, let us hear you. Guatemala what? Guatemala school trip. Going to Guatemala. Oh, oh, got it, got it. Go build a school in Guatemala. Write it down. Awesome. Yes, what else? Yes. Oh, Pamplona. Do you have any scars to show that prove that you were there? Okay, so you need to trample. All right. I, that one I'm not so sure about because I always see that and see guys just get thrashed and go, why do people do this? Yeah, I don't know. But may, maybe if you're in a balcony sipping something, you know, watch, oh, look at that guy. He got crushed by a bull. Awesome. Um, maybe. I don't know. What else? Yes, in the back. Having a baby. How about making a baby? <laughs> uh, sorry. I, this, I better put the caffeine down. I just got that look from Josh like, easy. Easy. And let's end in prayer. Let's end in prayer. Everybody bow your heads. Yeah, let's end in prayer. All right, one more. Yes. Skiing in the Alps. Yes. I, 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 yeah. The only one I'm still on the fence about is the burning of the bulls, but we'll, we'll throw it in there. Yeah, throw it in there. Awesome. It's funny, all, the, all of them involved international travel. Yeah, that's actually, if I were to answer this question for me, it was seeing Victoria Falls uh, on the border of Zimbabwe and Zambia. Um, I just stand there. It's, it's over a, a, a mile wide, this waterfall, and it separates these two countries. The, the local name for it, dialect, translated as the smoke that thunders. And literally, the spray that hits the rocks below shoots up in, like way up in the atmosphere. You can see it from miles away. It's just this magical place, and when I saw it, it just, I was like, I want everyone I know and love to come to this spot with me in the next 10 years. It would be amazing. We all have those things. I, I think of a lot of times uh, people talk about movies this way. They'll say, oh, have you seen this such and such? 
And I don't know if you've ever been on the uh, receiving end of this, where a friend just, you know, for like two years, they tell you, this movie, oh my gosh, you're a complete idiot for not seeing it. And then you go and see it, and you're like, really? Has anyone ever experienced this? Or you're, you're on the other end of it, you're like, you believe, I mean, you are a follower of this movement, of this movie, historical movement, and you, you tell a friend, oh my gosh, you have to, and then they go and see it, and they come back like, eh, it was all right. I remember for me, um, I was so excited because my parents hadn't seen any of the Lord of the Rings, and when the, when the two towers came out, I was like a giddy schoolboy. I mean, I was like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm, you know, we're going theater. I'm buying all this. It's on me. And I'm buying popcorn. And so I'm like, what movie experience my parents? And we go in and like 30 minutes in, I look over my dad's like. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you joking me right now? Frodo. You know, it just, it, yeah, it, I, I was like, I was, I was upset. Here I was on the edge of my seat. And my dad's like, you know, just, he's gone. Why is that? Why is that? We all have, obviously have different preferences. It's, it can be affected by our age. It can be affected by our mood when it comes to movies. It, it can be affected by, did you go on opening night or not? You know, there's like, on opening night, there's all this extra buzz. There's all these extra things. It can be af- affected by how much caffeine is in our system. Um, all these things determine whether we really think something is as great as someone else has said it is. But there are some things that no matter of your level of caffeinated, caffeine in your bloodstream or your age or really any other factor, have a universal awe factor. And one of those is undoubtedly the love of God. If someone says to you, yeah, God loves me, and it's just sort of not that big of a deal to them, then I would argue this. They haven't really experienced it. Maybe they've observed it from afar as some far-off cute idea. Oh yeah, God loves me. But they really haven't experienced it, haven't walked in it, haven't known it in the truest parts of who they are. Maybe they know it in the sense of like, have you been to the ocean? And someone's like, oh yeah, I've been to the ocean. How was it? It was all right. And you find out later that they were a couple miles away from the ocean in a high-rise hotel. And they're like, oh, there's the ocean down there. Let's have another, you know, sipper, you know? No, have you been to the ocean? Have you, have you, there's a difference between that and diving into the ocean. When I lived in California, I loved going to the beach. Not as much as the mountains, I must admit. But there was one day where I swam out like 300 yards off, off the, the, the shore and um, dolphins started s- swimming around me. And uh, it was as cool as I thought it would have been, but I didn't anticipate it being that also frightening. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're like, they're going to bite me. I know they are. They're going to mistake me for a large minnow. Um, <laughs> but... When you experience God's love, when you actually go out into it, when you're immersed into it, it's this amazing thing that begins to transform who you are. When you, when you taste and you see, as the psalm, psalmist David wrote, that the Lord is good, it begins to affect every single thing about who you are. 
I don't stand before you today as, um, as someone who's older than Josh and who is this church leader on the executive staff and who's been a pastor for a long time. I stand before you as one who is deeply loved by God. That's what makes me excited to stand up here. And that's what makes me not freak out about all your faces staring at me in this moment. Like, I'm rooted in the love of God. So if you think this morning is great, great. If you think it was the worst Mill Sunday school ever, I'm bummed by that. But am I, am I shaken to the core by that? No, because I'm loved by God. I'm swimming in the ocean of God. My life is rooted in the love of God. In another place in Psalms, David wrote this. This is Psalm 63, 1 through 3. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And I think for some of us, we go, wow, your love is better than life. Really? If we're really honest, like, do we really think that about God's love? Or we're more like, well, do you know that my life includes this, this, and this, and this? And I'm pretty stoked about my life. And God's love is just something I sort of attach onto it. Oh, yeah, God loves me. David's saying, your love is better than anything that I could know or experience or see. Go and do. Your love is better than anything this life has to offer. And so my soul will praise you. And it's a different sort of sort of thing. Not only does God want us first to experience his love, to drink it in, but then he's actually called us to give it away. To live, as Ephesians 5 says, to live a life of love. And I don't know about you, but when I read scriptures about the God kind of love, the kind of love that he has for me, I go, that's impossible for me to actually love that way. Now, maybe you're a far better person than I am, but on my own, I'm not that great of a lover. That sounded really weird, but you know what I meant. (laughs) I don't love others the way God loves me. You know, when we say the word love in English, we kind of limit ourselves because we leave it up to the hearer as to what I'm actually meaning when I say the word love. In the Greek, the the language of the New Testament, the word love had various forms, right? When we say love, we could in the same sentence say, I love God, I love my wife, and I love ice cream. And we go, well, yeah, and we kind of intuitively are able to move between those various kinds of loves, but sometimes we misunderstand what God is asking us to do when he says, live a life of love. So am I just supposed to kind of be nice and like people? Well, no. Am I just supposed to kind of have a fond affection for the people that like me and the people that don't, I can sort of, eh, they're over here somewhere? No. God is calling us to have an unconditional, robust Love, a love that would sacrifice, a love that would give of self, even to the point of pain, 
to other people. And I go, that didn't come too naturally for me, if I'm honest. That kind of love feels pretty far out of reach. And so this morning, what I thought we could do, now, now maybe you go, hey, Brad, I got this love thing down. If that's you, you can just tune out. But for the rest of us, man, I want to press in and say, what can I learn from Jesus' life that would help me to live the kind of life he did? In other words, what do, we, what do we see when we examine Jesus that we believe could have fueled his immense love for every single person he encountered? And for me, as I study the scriptures, there's some really clear things that come out of looking at this. The first thing that I think is key to living a life of love for Jesus was that he was crystal clear about his purposes and his intention. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking of himself, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So when he was sort of pressed on by circumstances, he would say, this is what I'm all about. I exist here on planet Earth to seek and save people to save them from the destruction that sin has brought. I'm here not to passively wait for people to to come to me. I'm seeking them out. See, he had a direction. He had a goal. He had a very specific objective in mind for his life. And I think it set him up so well to live. And often this is in opposition or in contrast to, to us. We go, well, what's my purpose? Well, My purpose right now is to be a student, to learn a lot. My purpose right now is to learn a lot and and maybe try to get in shape. My purpose right now is to have a lot of fun. Do you see how those purposes would make it very difficult, if not impossible, for us to be ready or positioned to love people? Because if our objective is to, say, crush school and get straight A's, Anyone who gets in our way is an annoyance and an obstacle and therefore something that we do not love but something that we simply put up with. But see, Jesus, his whole grid through which he looked at his life was, first of all, about his father, doing what he saw his father doing. And second of all, what he saw his father doing was going after people. His whole purpose statement in his life was centered around people. His life was about investing in relationships and investing, about the only, and investing in the only thing that will last forever, and that is people. So I have to ask you this question. How central is love to your spoken or unspoken purpose? If you were to say, this is, when it really comes down to it, when I examine my time, my energy, my resources, this is sort of what I'm saying about the purpose of my life. Where is love in that? You know, if this were the hub of it is, it, is it, is it somewhere in the circle or is it central to it? This is why I think a guy I know who has three kids established a family mission statement. And his, his mission statement was simple. Love God, love others, serve the world. And he and his kids would talk about it all the time. Love God, love others. Serve the world. Love God, love others, serve the world. So no matter what they were doing, 
That was their overall direction. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Let love be your highest goal. You know, my wife one time said to me, in kind of a moment of reflection, she was actually visiting her grandfather's uh, grave site. And she was looking at all the tombstones, and they would say different things like, he was a jolly old fellow, or, you know, sometimes these bizarre statements that have a lot of meaning for the people and that, that know this person, but for those looking, you kind of go, I don't really know what that meant. Um, others of them were very specific, and she said, you know what? I hope one day that you will be compelled to write on my tombstone. I'm like, whoa, this is a deep moment. Can I sit down here? I don't like the, the thought of you not being with me. She says, she said, all I want written there is that I loved well. She said, if anything could be said of my life, that's what I want to be said. And I thought, wow, this woman I have right here as my wife is pretty, pretty awesome. That her highest goal, her chief aim in life would be that she had loved others well. And so I think that's the first thing when we we talk about the life of Jesus that really set him up was he was on this trajectory. His overall objective was all about people, was all about rescuing, saving people, loving them. The second thing is this. It makes it so clear to me that he had a rhythm of input and output. Input, output. Input, output, right? Nine times in the New Testament, we see this statement, and he withdrew. And he withdrew. Interesting, isn't it? That you think of Jesus, this prolific leader, and this guy who seemed to have all the energy and capacity for people and for circumstances, chose to withdraw, withdrew. And if the, if the New Testament records that Jesus withdrew nine times, how many times do you think he actually withdrew? Probably a lot more than nine. Because not every second of every moment of Jesus' life was recorded in the Holy Scriptures, right? But you see what you identify as this rhythm that he would press in. Now, sometimes these withdrawal Scriptures were moments where it would specifically say, and he withdrew to solitary or lonely places, some translations, right? to pray. Other times it just says, and he withdrew with his disciples. So they were engaged in the public sphere, and then he said, it's time to dial it back. What was happening there? Jesus was modeling for us a rhythm of a loving life that we do ourselves a disservice when we do not learn to pull back refuel. We do not set ourselves up to love others well when we're always on the go. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that there are a few of you in the room like me that you just love your day moment by moment to be full throttle. I, I love it. I, it sometimes I, I feel addicted to that. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to this meeting, seeing this person. I'm running here, I'm doing this. I'm watching this on my phone. And, and there's no moments where it's just like, I, I'm just still. I'm just withdrawn. No, I'm engaged. And Jesus is saying, ah, that's not the rhythm that I designed for you. So much so that Jesus established the rhythm of the universe 
that after every sixth day on the seventh day, we would have a day to rest, reflect, and pray, to refresh our relationship with God and others, and to renew our body. It's called the Sabbath. Sort of this thing that we've relegated to the Old Testament. So that's for those old Hebrew people, you know, who used to be bound by the law. No, actually, it's an eternal rhythm that God established for us. And we violate it as Americans all the time. We don't even give a second thought to it. I mean, honestly, if we were to take a poll, how many of you, when was the last time you thought about the Sabbath? Yeah, yeah maybe. It's okay, a few of us, some overachievers in the room go, oh yeah. But the vast majority of us violate that principle all the time. No wonder we're so irritable and ragged with each other. We haven't taken time to pull away. We just get frayed. Our nerves get frayed and we're like, get out of my way, please. That's my parking spot. Back off, right? Suddenly we get, we get little road raid, parking lot rage. We're like, what is going on here? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 5.16. It was a rhythm. So I have to ask you this question. Does the rhythm of your life set you up to love? Does the rhythm of your life set you up to love? Or does it set you up to be a little bit cranky? Right? All right, the third thing that we see Jesus, we observe in, Jesus, in Jesus' life is that he saw interruptions as opportunities. He was able to perceive what we might label as an annoyance, an interruption, as this crafted, beautiful opportunity, ripe with possibilities to reach someone's heart. Man, I I suck at this. When I am on my way somewhere to something and something gets in my way, it's like how quickly can I navigate around it so that I don't have to actually do anything, right? And Jesus, time and again, we see him stopping. Mark 10, 17, on his way, he was going somewhere. He ran into the rich young ruler and had a conversation with him, profound conversation that we get to read about today. Luke 8, 42, on his way, there was a woman who'd been bleeding for years. He was actually on the way to heal a leader's daughter, something really important. It's urgent need, and yet there was this woman that he stopped. He healed, restored, spoke value to. Luke seventeen eleven. on his way, he was walking through a town to go somewhere else, he came upon a group of lepers. And he stopped. He ministered to them. He loved them. On his way. You know, we should expect interruptions. They really aren't unexpected interruptions unless we haven't thought about how life goes right? Because interruptions are a part of life. They come in all shapes and sizes. And they're, again, they're not unexpected unless we haven't thought about it. So we decide now how we're going to respond when we get interrupted. Now, am I advocating that at any moment, anyone should be able to, to stop what you're doing? 
Probably not. But I would argue that there are far more interruptions that God wants us to engage and embrace than he wants us to push to the sideline. He wants us to step into. You think about, right? There he was with his disciples and all these children. Jesus, Jesus. Disciples were like, ah, ah, ah. back off. You know, little earpieces in, their little suits on. Do you know who this is? Sorry, little, little dude. And you said, let the little children come unto me. For salvation belongs, the kingdom belongs to such as these. And he welcomed them, you know? That's the kind of heart he had. It's the kind of lens he looked at, at people through. The fourth thing we notice about Jesus is that he didn't shy away from sacrifice. Again, this goes back to our understanding of love. I don't know about you, but I'm a a whole lot more attracted to living a life of love when it costs me nothing. Oh, yeah, sure, you know, when when I'm going around and, you know, okay, yeah, I'll I'll buy you a... uh, buy you a, a cup of coffee when I just have, you know, plenty of money in the bank? Or, oh, sure, I'll give you my coat when I have 10 more in my closet. And just, no, no big deal, right? Uh, yeah, whatever. Jesus, the Jesus kind of love is the kind of love that hurts. That is willing to sacrifice things that we hold dear. There was this missionary from England that was headed to Africa and a gentleman came up to him and said, Sir, like you're going to the cannibals and you will be eaten by them. And he just said, You know what, sir? He said, You're advanced in years. And he said, And one day you will be put in the, in the earth and worms will eat you. And so he said, Whether I'm eaten by worms or by cannibals matters not. What matters is that I live a bold expression of the love of Jesus through my life. It's like, whoa. I remember one time uh, I went with YWAM. I did my DTS, the schooling part of it, in Papua New Guinea. And we were going to this island that six weeks before we went, there were two volcanoes that sat on this, in between this bay and this city was along the bay, and the volcanoes exploded and buried this village in like 20 feet of ash. And a tsunami came in from the bay and it hit the city. So mass devastation. People that survived were desperate. And the government had relocated them back into the jungle and given them some tarps, basically, to try to rebuild. And I remember sitting there thinking and knowing enough about disaster relief situations, like, this is a really sketchy situation. And I'm like, these people could, could turn on us just because of where they are, the lack of resources they have and the desperation. And there was this moment of conflict, like, if I go and I die in this place, how do I feel about that? And it was this wrestling of like, what do, what do I really believe? Is me going to this place and being the hands and feet of Jesus to these people worth my life to me? I remember I wrestled, and, I, and I, after several days, I got to this place where I was like, okay, God, you know, I was kind of praying those prayers like, 
Lord, I'm willing that you would help me, help make me willing that I would be willing, you know? And then eventually I sorted through it, and God's like, yes. And, and, and as, as cool of an idea as that, a foreign country, Jesus is asking us day in and day out, will we sacrifice in the small ways to love those around us? Would be, would be, would, are we willing to inconvenience ourselves, to feel the burn, so that someone else can know that they are loved by God? How do people truly experience God's love? There are lots of ways, right, that God tries to reach the human heart, tries to show us. I mean, we look out the window, we go, there's one. It's created world. But you know perhaps the most profound way that he does it? Right here. When we love other people around us, God's love takes on a whole new level of reality. The moments, some of the moments I've felt most loved is when I've been most broken and I've seen the acceptance of God in the eyes of someone else. I've seen someone look at me and say, Brad, you... You've kind of made a mess of things. But you know what? I'm right here. It doesn't change anything. You're my friend no matter what. I got your back. What do you need? You're sitting there like, oh, I don't, I don't deserve this. Like, I deserve to be cast out. I deserve to be shunned. And yet this person, living, breathing human being, perhaps to the, their own sacrifice and their own pain, is here saying, I got your back. What do you need? How can I help? It's the love of God, right? So I want to end with this question, and then we're going to pray. Um, What are the ways God's love can become more than just a nice idea? In In other words, maybe you can share personally, how have you experienced the love of God? And it become more, more than just a a verse, a theological idea that's somewhere off in the distance. Sort of that, think of that analogy of you're in a high-rise hotel a few miles from the ocean. You go, oh, yeah, there's the ocean over there. What, what, what has it been that has made you feel like you were actually swimming in the ocean of God's love? And honestly, a, a, a fine answer, actually a, a better answer than sort of coming up with something is some of you may just say, you know, I don't know that I really know God's love that way. That's perfectly acceptable. That's true for so many of us that we just feel like, you know, it's sort of something I read and I feel a bit detached from. But, but if there is a way that you feel like, man, I have this really connected with me, share it at your table. Ready, set, discuss. So I'm curious uh, about the table discussions. I didn't hear anything about, was it mangoes last time? I didn't hear about mangoes. So, but perhaps that could be a way to experience God's love. Eat lots of mangoes. Uh, what, what do we have around the room? You feel like, hey, this, is, this was interesting to me. Someone said something that really caught my attention or made me think about something differently. Um, what are ways you've experienced God's... Yeah, love. I heard it from Pastor Josh, but it's... Uh... Oh, from Pastor Josh, then let's move on. <laughs> okay, let's go.
So good. Sometimes we can unintentionally become whiny kids. You know? God, give me this, give me more. Right? It drives me crazy when my kids do that, when I'm like, do you not realize what I've already given you? And I just want to like, yeah, not hurt them, but you know. It's really frustrating as a dad, and I'm glad God has more patience with us than I do with my kids, right? We're like, God, I want that. And God's like, do you even see every single day what I'm pouring? It says, right, night and day, creation pours forth speech. What is that speech saying, right? What is a creation saying to us? Oh, it's amazing. I saw some signs back here. Yeah, free hugs. Come on, we know a little bit about that at, at the mill. That's right. Yeah, no cost high fives and free hugs. Wow. So that you could also say free high fives. Either I mean, both would apply, right? Yeah. That, isn't that isn't that awesome? Like, um, we all receive, give and receive love in different ways. But I'm such a physical touch person. When someone comes up to me, just like pats me on the shoulder, I'm like, oh, you really do care. And all I've done is like, I'm like oh gosh, I feel so loved. But it is amazing how. You know, how, how that acceptance, we communicate acceptance, right? Verbally and non-verbally. And how somebody, you know, a little pat on the back. If you're playing sports, like, whoosh, you know, it's, oh, yeah, I feel loved. Okay, moving on. What else? That was a joke at the end there. <clears throat> Love, ways you, yes. Yeah. It's mm. awesome. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, we... we <laughs> nice. Don't mess. Um, yeah, we, we really experience God's love when we feel deficient and, and, and weak in an area and someone comes along with understanding to us. You know? I see that every day. I think you guys know that one of my roles here is to oversee the children's ministry. And it's incredible how much I've learned about God's love by being with, with kids more. And we have a special needs program. And it, it's been incredible to see families who come to our church, and, and maybe they haven't come for years, not because they didn't want to, but because they were, they were concerned no one could handle their child. And then we provide a place, a loving conduct. So like, it doesn't matter what your child is. Are they violent? Are they angry? Do they, whatever they do, we have a team of people that can handle it. To watch that parent just go, oh my gosh, you know? And for us to be that way with each other, to say, you know what? Whatever you've got going on, there is grace and room in my heart for your brokenness. Man, we should be a community that reminds each other that God's full of mercy and full of grace. And of course, he, he says, you know, like you said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. He's inviting us to a new standard of living. But before he does that, he welcomes us in and says, come as you are. It's really beautiful. What else? One more. Yes, Tony. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's a huge, a huge deal, right? We, we are um, all guilty of, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. And we're sincere in that moment, but we forget. And so it's a great habit to go, Hey, can I just pray for you right now? Someone's vocalizing a concern. And um, Tony and I uh, did some walking around the prayer center one day. We were just sharing our hearts. And and we just prayed together. 
It was bonding. It was awesome. And like, I, I don't know if you felt loved, but I felt loved. We were just like God's, we were just kind of circling in God's love, walking the, walking the, the prayers, walking the, around the living room, praying together. It was just, it was awesome. Yeah, know, know certain things about yourself. This is where we're talking about the rhythm of giving out and receiving. Know, know how you're wired. Uh, for me, I connect with God so well when I'm in the mountains. And so I try to get away, you know. I've heard God whisper things to my heart that I just wanted to fall over on the trail and go, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Like God just saying, I'm right here. I love you. And it's like, it goes way beyond intellectually knowing and just hits your heart and you know, oh, this is incredible. All right, let me pray for you. And then we're going to, Josh is going to come up and share a few last things. So, Father, I thank you so much for this community. God, we are literally, everywhere we go, we're swimming in your love. It's just that some of us haven't fully connected with that reality. We haven't seen it. We've been moving too fast or caught up with different things. God, but there's no one that loves like you love. It's everywhere. So thank you for loving us so completely and so whole. God, we can never escape your love. And God, we want to receive it. We want to drink it in. And then we want to give it away. So will you teach us? You show us what it means to live a life of love. We want that to be our highest goal. Not to make money, or to be a good provider, or to get our career on track, or to be in shape. All good things. God, our highest aim, to know and experience your love and then to give it away. Will you work on our hearts today, Jesus? Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. And everybody say it. Amen. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.